Indeed we would. So give us a call right now. Uh, and we've been hearing from lots of people this morning. It's fantastic. The phones have been just running hot so and we've got a bunch of text messages that came through. So let's have a look at some of those. Time to do text messages. Uh, let me see here. This one says, I think this one's from Brett. Uh, regarding your coronavirus, your coronavirus discussion, it seems there could be a connection with pandemics and the human consumption of biblical unclean animals. Okay, so here's a very simple piece of research to do. Jump on Wikipedia, look up the last 20 uh, global pandemics that have, you know, global pandemics that have affected our world. And guess what you will find? They were all started. No, 19, I think, out of the 20. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was 19 out of the 20 were started by people eating biblically unclean animals. In other words, these are viruses and diseases, including COVID-19, that would never have existed in the human race if humans hadn't been eating unclean animals. That is actually really interesting. Yeah, like some um, random person somewhere in China eats a dead bat and suddenly the whole world is messed up. I thought they said that that didn't happen, though. Oh, well, they're backwards and forwards on it. Oh, this okay. is the World Health Organization. <laughs> Seriously. Sasa's <laughs> says on it. Do we have any other text messages that you, oh, you want yeah. to share? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, let me see what else we've got here. Let's look at the scene as well. We're all let's just smash them out. Okay, here we go. The question on climate change, as you mentioned, is not what is not what we think but... What does the Bible say? Mm. Absolutely. The Bible says at the end of time there will be climate change. We see climate change along with every other sign of the time. We believe we're at the end of time. Okay. Uh, But in these last days the question should be how are governments using it? That's a very valid question because, and and I'm I'm butting into the text message all the way through here, because uh, the Bible also says at the end of time there will be globalisation. Do we see globalisation in our world? Yes, is globalization increasing the spread of pandemics? Yes. Are pandemics being used to increase globalization? Yes. <laughs> so you've got a bit of a vicious cycle going here, don't you? Let me go back to the text message. Uh, how are governments uh, using it? To unite the world against a common enemy. Anyone who's been reading or listening to what is coming out of the Vatican is more to do with Sunday laws, Sunday keeping. And this is an interesting thing because there is a very, very big push coming out for an environmental Sunday law. Mm. And what's interesting, yes, the Vatican's definitely pushing it. They've always been pushing for that. Um, But in recent times you've got some major atheistic organisations pushing for a Sunday law because uh, they want to give the world a day to breathe mm. and they say that COVID-19, and once again I'm, I'm straying from the text here, but um, COVID-19 has demonstrated how that when you give the world a chance, it breathes. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see the bottoms of the canals in Venice. You can't because there's no boats going up and down. Uh, that happened there for a while. You can, there were many... Towns and cities in India that got to see the Himalayan mountains for the very first time ever, etc., etc. Yeah, um, the effects of the lockdown, you know, in China could be seen from satellites in space in the you know reduced pollution over wow. China, etc. Uh, keeping Sunday as a day of rest for the world to reduce the carbon footprint at the same time giving a day of rest for the family. It sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, it's fantastic. Uh, it would be better if he kept God's day, the Sabbath day, Saturday. That's definitely something that is important to us as Seventh-day Adventists. And, of course, that's the day of worship that you find in the Bible. It's the only day of worship you find anywhere in the Bible. It's the only day of worship that God's people ever kept. 
So what will happen to Sabbath keepers if they don't keep Sunday? Mm. Well, the Bible has a bit to say about that and future history will talk about it as well. Okay, another text message here. As for COVID-19, the truth will come out sooner or later. God tells us that all that has been done in the dark will be brought to full light one day. So there's a lot of things right now we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things about the climate I don't know because I'm not a scientist and there's a lot of things about COVID that I don't know because I'm not a medical professional, but I do know what the Bible says. Mm. And I do know that the Bible says that there will be dark times, but those dark times will be like the labour pains of a woman giving birth, pretty severe, but just a blessed, joyous event at the end. Yes, fully. You know, you see it over and over and over and over again where a woman has gone through terrible labour pains, but then you ask her at the end when she's holding her newborn baby, was it worth it? It's always worth it. And how many how many times do you see a woman go through labour pains and then choose to do it again? See, I have friends who have had their first kid and they're like, I don't know that I want to ever do that again. <laughs> I'm glad for this child, but, yeah, but it's true. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So many, yeah. so many, they go back. For a second time, a third time even. Some yeah. like to have big families and mm. so forth. There are so many who are like, yeah, I'll do that again. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you choose to go through that pain? Well, you choose to do it because of the blessing that comes at the end. And the Bible says the signs of the return of Jesus are like that. Yeah. None of us will regret it at the end. Tough to go through, but the end is going to be amazing. Let's go to our Bible study. We're in Isaiah chapter 37, and we are going to start in verse 21. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, where are we? Isaiah 36? No, we are 37. There. We are, we are in 37. 37. Verse 21 is, I think, where we start. Yes, we are. Okay, I'm going to say a prayer before I read as usual. All right, Papa, Lord God, thank you so much for this time as we Bible study. Um, yeah, just teach us more of who you are. Um, show us some of your truth. And God, we just thank you for this opportunity to um, Bible study together. Amen. Amen. Okay, verse 21 says, Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. Mm. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so we've got a whole verse here, a whole passage here where, you know, Isaiah comes back with, you know, some pretty powerful words. Oh, yeah. These are big words for a tiny nation. For a small nation, <laughs> yeah. But when a small nation is serving God, they can speak big words mm. because they are not speaking of their own strength. They're speaking of God's strength. That's right. Yes. Uh, keep reading? Yes. Okay. 24 in chapter 27. So by your messengers, you have defied the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I have conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon. I've cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I have reached its farthest heights and explored its deepest forests. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water. 
With the sole of my foot, I stopped all of the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago, I planned it, and now I am making it to happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They are as weak as grass, as easily trampled as tender green shoots. They are like grass sprouting on a housetop, scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well. Where you stay, when you come, when you go, I know the way you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year you will, you will eat only what grows up by itself, and next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. Do I keep going or do I pause? Where are you up to? Verse 31. Hey, keep reading. It's, it's a right. good poem. I, I love the way that when God replies mm. through Isaiah to Hezekiah, he replies in poetry. It, yeah, and it's beautiful language. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's uplifting, it's exciting, it's amazing. Mm. Even though the message itself like to the king is a bit like, whoa, it's serious. But it's Has God ever replied to you in poetry? Mm, no. Except the Bible. Yeah, except the Bible. Maybe maybe God has replied to someone, one of our listeners in poetry. I don't mm. know. Give us a call. Yeah, if, let us if, know. If that, is, if that is the case, let us know. Absolutely. All right. Anyway, he okay, replies so- in poetry. This is This is amazing. Yes, so verse 31, And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of the siege, will put down roots in your own soil and grow up and flourish. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The compassionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord. For my honour and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. Verse 36, That night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. 86. Mine says 85. Yeah, mine says 86. Ooh. And mine's right. (laughs) Yeah, Just for the record. Uh, when the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. The king Sennacherib of Assyria broke down, uh, broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nishrosh, his sons Adiramelech and Shorezah killed him with Shorezah. their swords. Look, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Uh, killed him with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son, uh, son Esarhaddon, became the next king of Assyria. Okay, so when we this, this is this, this is an amazing is a, story. Yeah, what a great chapter. Okay, so here you've got. Okay, let's let's look at because we've been working our, working our way through this during the week. Yeah, and this is what we've got taking place. You've got this tiny nation. It's like you know, New Zealand takes on the United States. Mm. And, I mean, let's face it, if New Zealand took on Australia, we would go over there and conquer it probably next Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like that, isn't it? Mm. But they don't take us on, they take on the United States. And the United States heads down there. And so New Zealand goes on to a a footing of total war, Mm. you know, and and they are just, you know, and it's like, why? Well, you know, 
maybe they're not taking on the United States. Maybe they're taking on a mythical country of the same power as the United States that is a terrorist organisation. Mm-hmm. So they go on to a footing of total war because, well, they know that if they don't, they can either fight and die fighting or they can uh, just die. Yes. And be tortured to death. But then you've got this tiny nation that turns to God and God's like, you know what? This huge terrorist world empire, they're not even going to come here and shoot a bullet. But the context is because the king prayed. Because of the king's prayer. Mm. That's right. And so you've got this situation where Hezekiah has cut down all of the groves, he's destroyed all of the high places, he's removed all of the idolatry. There's still a lot of idolatry in the nation of Judah. Yeah. They haven't, you know, as individuals, and and, and this is why basically all of Judah falls except for Jerusalem. But now the nation of Judah has been reduced to the walls of Jerusalem and within the walls of Jerusalem you've got those who are the true followers of God and Hezekiah is one of them and Hezekiah takes you know, the words of Sennacherib that come to him through the Rabshakeh, he takes them to his God, he takes them to, or to God I should say, not his God, to God and he lays it out before God and he, and, he, and he more or less challenges God and says, you know, you are the one who is all powerful. You're the creator God. We read all about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. You are the one who, you know, is, is able to do all of these supernatural things and right now we need your help. That's right. We have done all that we can. We can do no more. Mm-hmm. And they're about to be squashed like a gnat. Mm-hmm. You know, a for Assyria, the kingdom of Judah was just a gnat. may have had a little bit of a sting because Jerusalem was a pretty powerful city, but it really was just a gnat. And they're about to be just sort of flattened while the king of Assyria just, you know, move on and get this dealt with and go and deal with more significant enemies like maybe the Babylonians or the Egyptians, you know, because they're your rival enemies at this time. Maybe the maybe the Scythians in the north or the Medes, these are, you know, big empires on the borders that are rising to power. Mm. And they're the ones that he really needs to worry about. So let's just uh, swap this one out of the way and get on with things. And Sennacherib, you know, he's, we, we read some statements from Sennacherib earlier in the week. He's just like all the other Assyrian kings, a full-blown psychopath. <laughs> Yeah. And God says to him, he says, hey, you know, you've come here, you've said all these proud things. Well, you're not even going to fire a bullet. You're not even going to fire an arrow at Jerusalem. You know, you might be camped in the in the hills nearby. You're not even going to march around Jerusalem. They're not even going to see your shields. You're not even going to lay siege. You're not even going to come over here and camp near it, near enough to be seen. You know, the Rabshakeh and his officials have sort of come over by themselves and they've closed the city gates and it's like, yeah, you talk to us from down there. Mm-hmm. And so that's what what happens. And uh, you can imagine that, you know, Sennacherib, if he hears about this, he'd be like, yeah, whatever. You know, he wouldn't, wouldn't give it the time of day. But here's what you've got. Hezekiah goes to the temple to pray. Isaiah sends a message to Hezekiah from God in beautiful poetry. Yeah. Right, so it writes God writes this beautiful piece of poetry, and that's his reply to Hezekiah. You can imagine getting a reply from God mm-hmm. like that. It's just like, like it's, it's, not, it's not like God just saying, "Don't worry, I got this." Mm. It's God saying, "Yeah, I've got this," and let me. 
because I know you're feeling bad and I know you're wearing, you know, a gunny sack right now and I know you've got ashes on top of your head. So let me write this out for you in detail and in poetry so that I can inspire you at the same time. Yeah, 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 fully. You know, this is, this is how God is working right here. And so Hezekiah gets that message. Imagine how you would feel if you were Hezekiah at that. Imagine the weight that would, be, would have been on your shoulders mm. as you've gone to the temple. You know, you've gone to the temple because city after city after city from your nation has been destroyed. Thousands of people tortured, raped, killed, etc. And, you know, hey, they had turned away from God. Hezekiah hadn't, but the nation had. But you're bearing the weight of that and blaming yourself for it. You'd be feeling pretty down, right? Oh, fully. Crushed. And then you've got the weight of, okay, this is what we're facing. Mm. Starvation, you know, eating our own dung, drinking our own urine, the Bible says, you know, and that's what sieges were like. And you're bearing the weight of all that. And then God replies with beautiful poetry. Not going to happen. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, we're going to get to the best part of uh, the story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib. Oh, okay. And to really understand this story, we need to understand some things about history. Mm-hmm. Lila's excited. I don't know if you heard in his voice, but I can see it in his eyes. Okay, so here's what here's what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um. God comes and he replies to Hezekiah with this beautiful piece of poetry. You can imagine yeah. how Hezekiah felt. He would have walked out of the temple after receiving a piece of poetry like that, mm. walking on air, even though there is a massive Assyrian army camped in the hills nearby. Yeah. Right. So he's walking on air and that night, mm. the Bible says, God doesn't wait, doesn't you know leave Hezekiah hanging like, oh, what's going to happen here? That night, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord goes out and kills 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. That is a huge number. That's a massive body count by anyone's standard. You know, we're talking about pandemics and so forth. I don't know what kind of a pandemic God used right there, but it was a big one. 185,000 men died that, that night. night. Okay, that leaves you without an army. The Bible says Sennacherib goes back to his own, to his own land and is murdered by his own sons. Yeah. They hack him to death with swords in his own temple. Yeah. That's what happens to Sennacherib. Now, what is fascinating about that, because in many ways you could say that the Bible here gives you the rest of the story that history doesn't give. Mm. Because history as account of this is really, really interesting. So Sennacherib goes back and he builds a palace which, is, which he called the Palace Without Rival. And on the walls of that palace, he lavishly makes these great carvings and reliefs, stone reliefs they're called, basically ancient billboards, of all of the terrible things that he did, that he did to the Judean city of Lachish. So he has a big brag about Lachish. Now, Jerusalem would be the real prize. Yeah. Who cares about Lachish? There's no Jerusalem on the walls. It's mm-hmm. just silent. So here's what's interesting about history. Historians, no, ancient historians never recorded history. Ancient historians only ever recorded victories. Mm. Right? Um, And so, for example, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, The Battle of Kadesh, great example of this. 
So you look at the Battle of Kadesh, you've got Ramses II who goes up against the Hittites. Um, he goes back to Egypt and records a stunning victory over the rival Hittite Empire. And the Hittite Empire was a big empire at that time. Um, he celebrated, you know, back in Egypt, big parades, all this kind of stuff of his victory over the Hittites. The actual reality is that Ramses was probably very fortunate to escape that battle with his life. Uh, and even even in the depictions that there are of the battle, you can see him down off his chariot, standing on his feet, fighting hand to hand, and for an Egyptian pharaoh to be out of his chariot, you know that's a very, very near-run thing. Um, now, Ramses' rival, Hittite rival, Muwatali, um, he also records a great victory over the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, from the various accounts, you can glean a number of facts. One, Ramses did not capture Kadesh. The Battle of Kadesh. He did not capture it. Muwatali did not capture Ramses, and Ramses left Syria and did not, and did sign a peace treaty with the Hittites. So those are the those are the three facts that we know, and yet you've got both of them celebrating this great victory. Yeah. So then you've got Sennacherib. You know, centuries later, he goes and he celebrates a great victory over the kingdom of Judea. And he and he has these you know these great billboards all around his palace without rival of everything that he did to the city of Lachish, mm. not Jerusalem. There's something. There's a piece of the puzzle that is missing here. If you were an archaeologist and you didn't have the Bible, you would go there and go, "How oh, what? Mm. He, he's celebrating Lachish? Yeah. What? What's going on here?" But the Bible fills in the rest of the details. And what's also interesting is what uh, Hezekiah has, I'm sorry, not Hezekiah, Sennacherib says about his battle against Judea. This is what he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is in cuneiform script uh, in a prism. You can find this in the British Museum. 46 strong walled towns and innumerable smaller villages I besieged and conquered. He's recording his Judean campaign. He's having a brag. As for Hezekiah, the awful splendour of my lordship overwhelmed him. I took as plunder 350 people, both small and great, male and female, along with a great number of animals, including horses, mules, donkeys, camels, oxen and sheep. Uh, As for Hezekiah, I shut him up like a caged bird in his royal city of Jerusalem. And that's where he stops. Mm, doesn't <laughs> he stops stop right there. She's like, just left him there. Just, just shut him up. I did that. Like, <laughs> that's how you record a victory. That is classic propaganda. There, record a massive defeat as a massive victory. Mm-hmm. The Bible gives the rest of the story. Yeah, the Bible says why there's no record of Jerusalem being taken by the Assyrians. The Bible says that was the angel of the Lord went out and performed a miracle. 185,000 Assyrians died that night and Sennacherib had to flee back to his own land. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, through and coming through on the text message, uh, just in reference to that last section there, Darren wants to say, makes you wonder how much of the Egyptian history dug up amongst the pyramids, etc., is selective and how much we do know. Mm. Thanks for sharing the show today. So, yeah, praise God. It does, doesn't it? You know, it's just the, the fact is they did not record history. They recorded victories. Yes. It is come time for... It's time for something. Yeah, we'll get there. Question of the day. 
Okay, our question today is, why would James 3, verse uh, 3 to 9, say that they were in the last days and the judge is standing at the door in the first century? We say, as in us on the radio here, that the last days are now. Um, It doesn't make sense, so please explain. Okay, so the real, I guess, the key verse here, I'm just going to focus on, on the, this one is James chapter 5 and verse 8 where the Bible says, Be you also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near. Mm. Now, 2,000 years later, we might say, well, you know, really? The coming of the Lord draws near? And the fact is this morning I said that the signs of the times indicate that the return of Jesus Christ is drawing near. Mm. So why would the Bible writers say that? Way back then, in the time in the time of James, in fact, you're going to find four different places in the New Testament where New Testament writers speak about the coming of the Lord being near. Uh, even in Acts chapter two, the Bible says, you know, Peter says it's the last days, and the prophecy of Joel is being fulfilled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, there are a number of reasons that we need to look at. First of all, the return of the Lord. So, I'm going to look at five different five different uh, aspects to this question. Number one. The return of Christ is always near for us as individuals. Yeah, we don't live that long. No. Mm-hmm. It's always very, very, very near, a very, very short space of time for us as individuals because the fact is that when you die, the Bible says you sleep in the grave until the resurrection, and so it will be the blink of an eye and the resurrection is taking place. Mm. So the return of Christ is, you know, for the average person, 70, 80 years, thereabouts. That's not a long way away. And so that brings us to our second point, and this is what the New Testament writers consistently teach, and this is what James is teaching in context in this passage here, is that we should always live with the nearness of the Lord, the nearness of the coming of the Lord, as a part of our Christian experience. We should always live as if Jesus is coming back soon. Now, I don't know whether Jesus is coming back in the next year, five years, ten years, or twenty years, I believe that he's coming back sometime in that time period. I don't know. It could be 100 years. It could be 200 years. That does not stop me from preaching the fact that Jesus is coming soon and it does not change that reality and that we should always live that way. Okay, third thing we're going to look at is that when you look at the span of history from God's perspective, where God is eternal and history... You know, we, we look at history in a very linear way as Christians, you know, beginning with sin and going through until now. And 6,000 year, years feels like an incredibly long time to us. And we forget that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And so this is kind of less than a week has gone by so far. <laughs> that makes it pretty near for God. And so, you know, when God says this, God is looking at it from the large perspective of history. Um, and so that's God's time. The, the next thing that we look at is that in that 6,000 years, there are a number of major events. After Jesus comes the first time, it's, well, what's the next major event? You know, there's no major events to take place, no major prophesied events to take place between now and the return of Jesus Christ. The next major event after the f- first coming of Jesus and the crucifixion and the ascension of Jesus is the second coming. And so the Bible speaks of it as the uh, as, as, as the next major event. And so when you look at this, the second coming of Jesus is always near for every person as, as an individual. 
Um, we are always to live as if it's near. It is the next great event that is about to take place in God's time. Mm. It is a short space of time. And the fact is that, you know, this is very simply, yeah, it's, it's, it's always near. Um, but it's a lot nearer now than what it ever was before, and they don't have the signs of the times that we have right now. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.